The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for his kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit shadygrovepca.org. Good morning. It's good to be here. Um, it's a joy to worship with you all in person. This is actually the first time um, I, I've been in in-person worship services, but this is the first time I brought the family with me that we're all worshiping in person. So it, it feels good to be present with the saints this morning. Um, and, it's, and it's been almost maybe a year since I've been with you all. Uh, so it, 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 it's good to see you all. I see familiar faces. Uh, Shady Grove, you, you all have been a, a amazing partner church in our ministry. So again, I'm the RUF campus minister at Howard University, and basically we want to um, love students and, and love Howard, and we, we want to bring the gospel to bear on that campus and on students' lives. And you all have been amazing partners in that uh, as a church and individually. Your prayers and your encouragements have meant a lot. So uh, before I dive in the word, I want to say thank you. Um, all right, and then and, 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 am I good with the camera, good with sound and everything? Am I, am, am I good to roll? All right. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And for, for, for those in the back, if you ever, um, if the sound gets too low, just go like this. And, and I'll speak louder. But Ephesians chapter 1. And we find ourselves in a letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in a city called Ephesus. And I want to talk about fear this morning and how I believe uh, kind of an undercurrent of the whole letter of Ephesians is fear. I want to talk about victory over fear today. So Ephesians chapter one, I'll read and then pray for us and then we'll dive in. Starting at verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, 
to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we are very thankful to be here this morning, to be able to even have a copy of your word, to even be able to read it. Lord, we believe that when we uh, read your word and explain your word, that you are speaking to us. So God, I pray that you would speak to us. And God, as you do that, um, I pray that we would be transformed further into the image of Jesus, that we might be more like him in the ways we think, in the ways we act, in the ways we feel. Lord, I pray that uh, you would have your way this morning, that you would be glorified. Lord, I pray that you give me strength. Holy Spirit, would you fill me now as I proclaim your glorious excellencies? Spirit, I really do need your power. I need your strength. Would you please help me? And Holy Spirit, would you be present in, in the midst of your people? Might our hearts be open to receive your word with faith and love, that we might lay it up in our hearts and put it to practice in our lives. Lord, we love you. Amen. All right, so it, it constantly amazes me how Drake, are, are you all familiar with the rapper slash pop artist slash reggae singer Drake? <laughs> he does a little bit of everything. He's been putting out hits consistently, like it seems month after month for like the past 10 years. It's actually kind of amazing. But one of his big hits is called God's Plan. Uh, this song is basically Drake singing about how it was God's plan for him to become successful and how he wants to uh, do good to other people through success. So the music video is him walking around a city and he's giving people money and they're and they're really excited that, that they just get money from Drake. But I think the lyrics are really interesting. I think it's, it's a reflection of the general sense that people have all over the world about God or gods or spirituality. So, y'all, I can't rap. I'm, go I'm going to try and, like, sing a little bit so y'all don't laugh at me too hard. Um, but here, here are some of the, the lyrics. He talks about bad wishes coming towards him. He says, bad things. It's a lot of bad things that they wish and and wish and and wish and and wish and they wish in on me. Right. So he's talking about there are these bad things and there are these bad and there's bad people and they are having bad wishes against him. Uh, there, there's a sense that he's trying to be successful and there's opposition. And then he also talks about how he's blessed and how he's blessing others. He says, I go hard on Southside G. Hey, way. I make sure that Northside eat. So he's basically talking about how he is in his community. He's making sure that people have food on the table. He's, he's looking out for his community. Um, he's rejoicing in the fact that he's carefree and he has these resources and he's able to give them to others. And then he talks about how he overcomes the bad things and how he gets all these good things. He talks about how it was God's plan. He says, imagine if I never met the broskies. God's plan. God's plan. I can't do this on my own. No. Hey. So, y'all, I know I can't rap. But basically, he, he's talking about how he has this general sense that it was a higher powers plan for him to accomplish all of these things. And I, I don't know who Drake worships or what kind of God he worships or, or anything like that. But I think we all have this sense that uh, there's this striving towards success. And there are these bad things, whether it be people or bad luck, or we all have these kind of superstitions that we might not even know that are against us. And we are hoping that it's in the higher powers plan for us to succeed. And I think if we take this right here and put it on steroids, this is what Ephesus was like. Um, so the, the, the Ephesians kind of were aware of these, these spiritual beings and these cursed states around them. 
Uh, so in, in, in Ephesus, Ephesus was a large and prestigious city. It was um, a, a very popular and, and, and uh, well-known city in the Roman Empire. There were many different gods. There were thousands of gods. You had Greek gods, Roman gods. You had Egyptian mystery uh, cults. You had the emperor cult. You had uh, astronomy. You had magic. You had Jewish mystics. You had all different type of religions. We talk about how America is, is pluralistic. It's really not. Like This was a truly pluralistic city. And among this, uh, you, you had magicians and sorcerers and they had uh, spells and and they had amulets to ward off evil curses and evil spirits. You And you had oaths and vows and magic was basically understanding and manipulating the hierarchies of the gods, angels and demons. You had exorcisms, uh, curing of diseases. People were trying to control nature, uh, uh, trying to control nature. They had divination and curses. Um, and, 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 and back in that day, don't think of like magicians as the person who played tricks. They were kind of like the, a, a spiritual um, authority. It was almost kind of like um, a magician or a sorcerer was kind of like a mix between a pastor and a doctor in some kind of ways. Uh, it, it wasn't like the, the horror movies that we see nowadays. Oh, and, and people were constantly worried about misfortune and evil spirits coming to frustrate their plans. So this is why they had these amulets and spells and uh, had all of these different types of sacrifices that they would offer to the gods. But among all the gods, there was one god that they really worshiped. Uh, her name was Artemis, uh, Artemis of the Ephesians. She was the god of the moon, hunting, wildlife, and fertility. And her temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And Artemis was very important for the Ephesians' social life, their economy, uh, people um, in that day would go to the temple to socialize and things like that. So this was the kind of place that the Apostle Paul went to to proclaim the gospel. Like I kind of whenever I read this text, I imagine what it would be like to go on Howard's campus and people had, you know, uh, magic spells and amulets and they were making sacrifices on on the, the, the quad It's a very different world. Can you imagine trying to start a church in that type of environment? <laughs> You're telling people to throw away their magic books. Um, but, but, and here's the thing. So Paul gets there and then he leaves some of his disciples and then he has to go somewhere else, but he comes back and a church is kind of forming. And so he goes and he preaches at the synagogue, which was basically like the Jewish church. And he starts getting believers. Jewish people start believing in Jesus, but then some of them are saying, Hey, what's going on with this Jesus thing? Get out of the synagogue with that. So Paul and, and a few people leave the synagogue and then they, um, they, they, they have a meeting at the place called the, the Hall of Tyrannus. And then Gentiles, who's basically non-Jews, Gentiles start believing in Jesus. And so they all come together. So you, you had this church that was forming in this place. Now, there was an a, a incident that happens in Acts 19. There's these Jewish ex exorcists who see Paul. So Paul, so, so imagine this very spiritual world. So whenever Paul goes to a city, they're thinking he's a powerful magician or a powerful sorcerer. They're like, whoa, this, people are touching, taking cloths and touching him and then going and touching other people and demons are coming out of people and being, people are being healed. So Paul has a lot of clout in Ephesus. So people th are thinking, if we mention the name Jesus, we'll kind of have the same spiritual power Paul did. So there's these Jewish exorcists and they go to cast out this demon possessed man and they mention the name Jesus. And the demon possessed man basically says, we know who Jesus is and we even know who Paul is, but who are y'all? <laughs> and, and the demon possessed man basically starts doing horrible things to them. And at that point, everybody in the city 
fear fell on the city because they saw how powerful the name of Jesus was. And, and check this out. This is interesting. The, see, the Christians at that time, they would have Jesus, but they also had magic and, and the other different things they were doing. So after um, Paul and, and, and this whole incident happens, they have a big bonfire. Everyone takes their magic books and they throw them and they set them on fire. It was a fortune worth of magic books that were being set aflame because Christians realize we don't need magic anymore. We have Jesus. Jesus is more powerful than any demon, any evil spirit, any evil force. Jesus has a name that is above every name. They, they, they realize that Jesus was over everything. And family, um, this is what I want us to get today. That I think we in uh, 2020 living in the United States, we aren't much different, even though our world is, is, is very different. Our instincts aren't much different. We have these plans and we have these hopes and these dreams for ourselves and for our families. Um, many of them are, are good and holy, but we also have this fear. And if, if you're like me, I often have irrational fears fears of everything. Yeah, it might even be an, there might not even be an object of my fear. I'm just fearful in general, just anxious in general, because I have this sense that there's these bad things or bad people or bad forces that are, are, are against me. Or uh, if things are too good, I'm sensing that something bad is about to happen because things can't be this good for this long. Does anyone else, can, can anybody else relate to me? There's this general fear in life. And Paul wants to drive home that we don't need anything else other than Jesus to overcome the evil spirits, the, 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 the enemy and sin and death in our lives. So my main point for today is that God has overcome fear in Christ. God has overcome fear in Christ. So um, we don't need to go anywhere else, believe in anything, do any other Thing other than submit our lives to Jesus in the midst of a fearful world. So um, I'm going to look at several ways that God has overcome fear. The first thing is God's plan. Somebody say God's plan. Good. Let's try that again. Somebody say God's plan. Good. Uh, so verse four says, um, uh, let's see here. Verse four says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So it says that God has chosen us. Um, so God has a plan. What is this plan for? Going back to verse three, it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So here's this big God who has a plan and he has a plan to give you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, when I say that, don't think of like these blessings that are somehow far off. In the biblical worldview, the heavenly realms overlap with the world. Has anyone seen Stranger Things? Uh, Stranger Things is a show where there's this place called the Upside Down. It's kind of like a parallel alternate universe. But the way that you... Um, know that something is happening in, the, happening in the upside down is you can see the effects of it in the real world. This is kind of how the heavenly realms are. This is these, these realms that overlap with our world and has real effects on our world. Uh, so if you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, this means that you have every blessing that you can ever need even in this world. And God has planned this for you even before the world began. And where is it? In Christ. 
He chose you to be in Christ even before the foundation of the world. And why? What is his plan for? Is for holiness. He chose you for holiness. Now, when when I say holiness, don't get like probably all the typical things that probably come in my mind. Like you know, um, I don't know. Like you 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 might have a, a, a all the different types of images that come in your mind when I say holiness. Think of all the things that anybody would ever want in their life: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self control. This is what holiness looks like. And God has a plan for us to be holy in Christ. And why did he do this? Because of pure love. In verse five, it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Why has he done all this? It is because God loves you. And God doesn't love you because you love him. You love him because he loves you. It was God's plan. And he is the initiator of it all. And so why is it important that there's that there's a plan? Uh, you you might be thinking there's no plan. I control my own destiny. I'm 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 the fate of my I'm, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the master of my future. And here's the thing that never works. Even in Ephesus, they realize that, man, we are too vulnerable to the, the world and, and, and the spiritual realms to be masters of our own plans. This is why they offered so many sacrifices and had all these spells. I'm actually reading um, the Odyssey by Homer. I'm reading it like one page a night. And <laughs> but uh, it, 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 it's good reading to calm my mind down before I go to bed. But basically, you, you get the sense they're always offering sacrifices because it's like, hey, we got to offer a sacrifice to Zeus because he could get us. And then, oh, our, our, we're traveling on the sea, so we got to offer a sacrifice to Poseidon so he doesn't wreck our ship. And then, oh, let's let's do one to Athena because, you know, we really want her on our side. They're always nervous. There's this sense that if you are going to make a plan, you need to have a God who is backing your plan. And it's the same thing in, in our lives. If we have a, a plan, if, if we are living our lives, we want to know that there is a God who is for us. There is a there, there is a God who has a plan for us, that we are secure in his will. Christian, you are so secure in the plan of the God of the universe who loves you. He doesn't compete with Zeus or Athena or Artemis or any type of sorcerer, magician or any bad wishes that people can wish on you. He is supreme and powerful and he loves you. And so uh, when, 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 when we think of blessing, God's plan to bless you, don't think of like Drake blessings. Don't necessarily think of fame and riches, even though some of you might become famous and rich. And I hope you remember me. But don't, don't think of that. Think of the, the deeper, richer things. Think of being forgiven. Think of God being for you. Think of God transforming you. Think of him giving you peace. Think of him transforming our communities and our neighborhoods as the gospel goes forward. Your salvation from beginning to end is God's initiative, and it should encourage us. Don't worry about if God is for you in Christ. He is. And don't worry about if he loves you. He loves you. And do not worry about if God has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for you. But secondly, um, so we looked at God's plan, but God's redemption is also a way that God has overcome fear in Christ. Somebody say God's redemption. In verse seven, it says in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So um, redemption is an economic term. It basically means you have purchased 
something out of the possession of another person and into your own. This means that God bought you. But how did he buy you? He did not buy you with uh, silver and gold. He bought you with the precious blood of his son, Jesus. And what is the result of this purchase? What, what is the result of Jesus spilling his blood? It is forgiveness. Jesus spilled his blood in order to satisfy the wrath of God against us that we rightfully deserved for our sins. Jesus was condemned on our behalf. We are forgiven. And why are we forgiven? We are not just forgiven for forgiveness sake. We are forgiven because Christ wants to be Lord over all. Uh, in verse nine, it says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So here he explains the final goal of his redemption. The final goal of redemption is for everything in the universe, uh, in heavenly realms and on the earth to be submitted to Lord Jesus. So this means he wants demons to be submitted to him. He wants angels. He wants the stars and the moons. He wants neighborhood cities. He wants you to be submitted to him. He wants everything to bow at his feet. Um, and, and, and this is beautiful. We, we might be asking, like, what do I need forgiveness for? Like, I, I don't feel guilty. Why do I need to make peace with this God? I think things are going pretty good for me. But here's the thing. When you study uh, most major religions, maybe every major religion, there is a sense that there are gods and these gods can be displeased with you. Even in religions like maybe um, Buddhism, who uh, certain forms of them don't have like a gods. There's even this sense that if, if, if you go against the general principles of the religion, things might go badly for you. Right. And it's the same with Christianity. There is this God who uh, can be displeased with us. This, this is sort of in common religious instincts all over the world. But, but this God isn't capricious. He isn't um, petty. He doesn't just do whatever he wants. He is a, 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 um, a, a worker of justice, of divine justice, of beautiful justice. And this God is rightfully angry at us because he is righteous. He is holy and we are not. We sin and we are unrighteous. So the thing is, if you are not reconciled with God, you are living in his world and he is mad at us, right? It is a scary thing to live in a world. We are breathing his air. We are absorbing his sunlight. He is making our heartbeat, and this God is wrathful towards us. I don't know about, about y'all, but that, that, I, I can't sleep at night when I think about that. But here's the thing that the gospel that Jesus offers us. He says, this God whose world you're living in, if you trust in Jesus, he is for you. The God of this universe, he loves you. Uh, he, he, there's this beautiful quote from Augustine. It says something like, he cares for the, for, for the all like he cares for the one. And he, and he cares for the whole as if we were one person. He cares for us personally and intimately. And he is for you. And so you have every reason to believe that God is for you, Christian, because of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. He has no beef with you. He has no quarrels with you. He has nothing against you because of Christ. And so when, when we sin, when, when, when we cheat, when we uh, talk bad to people, when we uh, are, are going astray from Jesus, we know that always God's arms are open to us. 
There is no prerequisite. There is no resume that you have to present to God. There is no type of working back into his presence. His arms are open. He says, come. The death of my son has purchased your salvation and has purchased a way before a God who loves you. Jesus has powerfully paid for your sins. So you can stop trying to um, take that extra pound of flesh for yourself because you feel guilty. You can stop trying. You can stop drowning in your own guilt. You can stop beating yourself up because in Christ you are forgiven, not just halfway, not just 99 percent. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far are your transgressions removed from you, Christian. I don't know how far the east is from the west, but I think it's infinity. That's how far away your sins are removed from you. This is a reason to not fear because you are in his plan of a God who loves you. And there is no reason that he will be mad at you. There is nothing to fear truly in Christ. And lastly, I want to look at God's inheritance. Somebody say God's inheritance. So we looked at God's inheritance. We uh, we looked at God's plan, God's redemption, and God's inheritance. So in verse 11, it says this. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So in verse 11, there's some debate in your translations about um, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Some of your translations say exactly that. We have obtained an inheritance. If you have the ESV, that's, that's what it says probably. But others say we were chosen as an inheritance. We were chosen as an inheritance. So one is um, we have an inheritance. The other is we are the inheritance. Given, I think, the, the, the grammar and the context, I think here it makes most sense that it's saying in verse 11 that we are the inheritance. We are God's inheritance, meaning we are his portion. We are his lot. We are very precious and special to him. We are his treasured possession but also check it out um in verse 13 it says in him in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised holy spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory so not only are we an inheritance but we also have an inheritance we are an inheritance and we also have an inheritance and this inheritance is nothing other than the new heavens and the new earth, the perfect and glorified world where we will live and enjoy God forever. Uh, and so we have a hope, and this hope is just not wishful thinking. We're not just saying, I, I, I hope that God has something for me in the future. I hope that this world will be a better place. No, this is a certain hope that God has surely laid up for us. And he has said this, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of this inheritance. This means that God has placed a down payment on our inheritance. Isn't that beautiful? So I know like in, in, in generally whenever there's negotiations to purchase something big, let's say a house, there's usually um, a down payment or a, 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 do they do this up here? I, it might be different in different markets. They have earnest money where if you're interested in a house, you have to pay money to let people know that you are serious and seriously interested in that house. There's always the, the, the phrase skin in the game, that there, there is a cost. There's something that you give up to, to let people know that I am in this thing. I'm committed and to give people assurance that I am interested in this deal. Family, that's what God has done when he gives us the Holy Spirit. 
That is a down payment. That's an earnest money payment. God is putting skin in the game. He's saying, I'm so serious about you living in the new heavens and new earth, a spirit saturated world where you have where you have spiritual bodies, bodies saturated with the spirit that I will give you a taste of the spirit here and now. God has given you an appetizer of the new heavens and new earth by giving you the Holy Spirit. He has given you a foretaste or a trailer to the movie of eternity when he has given you the Holy Spirit. And he has given you the Holy Spirit because he wants you to be so sure and so assured that your hope is not in vain. Now, I, I don't know about y'all, but I, I've been in places where people have told me they're going to do something and then they they uh, they back out. I, I mean, I don't love it. It's a, it is a little funny, but it happens all the time on college campuses just because that's the nature, I guess, of college. Like there's just a lot of flakiness. Like, you know, someone's like, hey, you know, Pastor Cyril, so-and-so told me they're going to give a ride to my job, and they bailed on me. Can you give me a ride? Like, that's, that, that, that's just a common day thing. A lot of, if, if, if I said this in, at, on the college campus, they'd be like, mm-hmm, yep. You know, everyone knows about that. Um, but there's a sense that, like, if someone gives you their word, they may or may not come through. And there might be this anxiety with God. But God recognizes that in us, and he says, I want you to be so sure that you can be place your, your your hope in me, and in this world where there's fear all around, and where this world is so broken and so messed up, I don't know about y'all, but daily I'm like, God, I cannot wait for the new heavens and new earth. God, can you just take me there now? Can we live in a perfect place now? And in the midst of a fearful and broken and corrupt and transient, perishable world, we need a sure and secure hope, and God gives us this. And it is supposed to be a balm for our fears because something better is coming and we are not living and following Jesus in vain. Um, and, and, and so lastly, um, I want to look at the, the, the purpose and the reason for all of these things. In verse 6, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace. In verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. He is telling us, God is telling us the whole reason that he has a plan, the whole reason that he has redeemed us, the whole reason that he has given us an inheritance and that we have an inheritance is so that we might behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And that day to day, as we live for God, we might glorify him. We might rejoice in him. We might exult in him. We might praise him in the midst of a fearful world. And so, y'all, as, as we're living our lives, as we're going day to day, we should live joyful, praise-filled, uh, thank, thankful, thank-filled thank lives, all because of God's plan, God's redemption, and God's inheritance for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength to actually live for you in the midst of a fearful world. God, I pray that we would have confidence that we are in your plan and that you love us and for us are for us. God, we praise you for your glorious redemption that uh, by the power and the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, you have totally forgiven us. And so we know that in our day to day, you are for us, even in the minutia of things. And God, lastly, we know that we have a hope even in this world that we are an inheritance, we are very precious to you, 
And so we are secure in that. And God, we have a inheritance that is coming for us. So God, we look forward to that. And, 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 and we hope in that even as we groan now, Lord, our groanings now, as we look at the sin and death um, and evil around us, Lord, this and even in ourselves, Lord, this groaning leads us to place our hope in something better in you. So, Lord, we love you. Amen.